0: Let's again look to the Lord in a word of prayer as we begin our message this morning, this afternoon. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the tremendous grace of your Word, the richness of your Word. And Father, again, I'm reminded of the story of the two disciples as they walked from Jerusalem towards Damascus, I believe it was, Emmaus, actually, Lord. And... uh As they walked along, they were discouraged and downcast and feeling somewhat deflated because of the events and all that had happened. The week leading up to the Lord Jesus' death, His terrible betrayal, His arrest, the mocking, the scourging, the crucifixion, and then His death, and finally being laid to rest in a tomb. And these men, as they walked along, were discouraged, thinking that all was lost. And yet one began to walk with them, the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, the warrior returning triumphant from the battle, the one who had been declared to be the Son of God with power by His resurrection. He took time out to, dis- to search out and come alongside two discouraged disciples And as He walked along and conversed with them, He took time to open the Scriptures to them and to explain to them all the things from the Scriptures concerning Himself. And Father, we often marvel and wish that we could have walked alongside and heard the Lord Jesus expounding Scripture, expounding, proclaiming, pronouncing Himself from the Old Testament And, Father, we ask you this morning for those who are discouraged, for those who are downcast, for those who are weary in the walk, Father, those who have suffered loss, those who have suffered doubts and despair and trouble in these last days and weeks. Father, we pray, we plead with you, O Lord God, that the Lord Jesus, in the person of the Holy Spirit, would draw near to them, and explain and illumine the things from Scripture and point them towards Christ. Father, we thank you for the gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord Jesus, as Acts tells us, who resides in us and points us constantly to Christ. Father, we would see Jesus this morning. As we study these ancient texts, Old Testament texts, yet we recognize and we affirm and we are thrilled, O God, that they are indeed the living Word of God, Your Word to us, to reveal Yourself to us, that we would hear Your voice. Father, we plead with You for help. We pray again, O God, that my voice would end at the edge of the pulpit, but Your voice would speak into the depths of every heart. Father, we pray that you would provoke your people to action, to love and good works. Father, we pray that you would stir us up, that we would have a love that is fervent for you and for each other. Father, we pray that through the preaching of the Word of God and the putting into application and practice its truths, that we would be spared from being, being lukewarm. Father, we would be hot we would burn hot for Christ. And Father, we ask you for help this morning, and we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We'll take your Bibles this morning, and we'll go to the book of Exodus, and chapter 25, and we're going to read a couple of portions, and then we'll look over at the book of Leviticus for a short passage there. Brothers and sisters in Christ this morning, my call to us all is to give thanks. As you listen to this message and and perhaps jot down some notes, my prayer is that you would pause and give thanks frequently. Give thanks because God has provided. God created everything in existence and provided for all the needs of His creation, and in particular for us, His people. God has provided all we need for life, for worship, and for ministry. He has done it that way so that he may receive the glory from his provision for us and so that we would have no reason to boast before God. Well, take your Bibles. Let's look at verses 8 to 10 of Exodus 25, and we see there... uh, over the page, Exodus 25, verses 8 to 10, let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them, according to all that I am going to show you as the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furniture, just so you shall construct it. They shall construct an ark of acacia wood two and a half cubits long and one and a half cubits wide and one and a half cubits high. Then looking down to verse 17, we'll read there, he says, You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and one and a half cubits wide. You shall make two cherubim of gold, make them of hammered work at the ends of the mercy seat. And then looking down to verse number 22, and we'll read from verse 22 all the way to verse 30. And the word of God says, there I will meet with you and from above the mercy seat from between the two cherubim, which are upon the ark of the testimony, I will speak to you about all that I will give you in commandment for the sons of Israel. You shall make a table of acacia wood, two cubits long and one cubit wide and one and a half cubits high. You shall overlay it with pure gold and make a gold border around it. You shall make for it a rim of a handbreadth around it, and you shall make a gold border for the rim around it. You shall make four gold rings for it and put rings on the four corners which are on its feet. The rings should be close to the rim as holders for the poles to carry the table. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold so that with them the table may be carried. You shall make its dishes and its pans and its jars and its bowls with which to pour drink offerings. You shall make them of pure gold. In verse 30, you shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me at all times. Now, if you just flip over to the book of Leviticus, one book over towards the New Testament, and we'll look at chapter 24, Leviticus chapter 24. Leviticus 24, and we'll read from verse 5 to verse 9. And uh, just to give you the context, uh, the Lord is speaking to Moses about the making of those, uh, the bread of the presence we just read about. And verse 5 begins, Then you shall take fine flour and bake twelve cakes with it. Two-tenths of an ephah shall be in each cake. You shall set them in two rows, six to a row, on the pure gold table before the Lord. You shall put pure frankincense on each row, that it may be a memorial portion for the bread, even as an offering by fire to the Lord. Every Sabbath day he shall set it in order before the Lord continually. It is an everlasting covenant for the sons of Israel. It shall be for Aaron and his sons. They shall eat it in a holy place, for it is most holy to him from the Lord's offerings by fire, his portion forever. Just to recap where we were last week to tie the two uh, passages together, uh, we saw last week as we considered Christ and the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of the Testimony that the Old Testament tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant inside it was a place of God's presence. We see there how he would dwell uh, in the tabernacle and above the mercy seat and between the two cherubim. It was also the Old Testament tabernacle place of God's appeasement or propitiation. The mercy seat is also known as a propitiatory seat. And the blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat on the day of atonement. In the Old, tabernacle, Old Testament tabernacle, Sorry, it was a place of God's pronouncement. The Ark of the Covenant was where God would meet with Moses and speak to him and give him the commandments in relation to the sons of Israel. The Ark of the Covenant pointed to Christ as its fulfillment. Christ dwells in the tabernacle of our hearts by faith. Christ fulfilled the picture here by providing a being, the provision of God as the sole satisfactory appeasement of God's anger against us. Christ propitiated God's anger by dying on the cross. Christ came as the ultimate revelation of God to his people. And so, Christ is the fulfillment of all these patterns and pictures that point towards the New Testament and describe him. And we praise God this morning for such a great provision. But you know, atonement and forgiveness were not all that God had in mind. God's provision for atonement opened the door to the great blessing of God's abundant provision for his people. I want you to notice the logic of the God's instructions. In 25, verses 1 to 7 there, we see that God calls for a contribution to build the the whole tabernacle, the silver and the gold and the bronze and the different colored linens and goat's hair and ram skin and so on. Then in verses 10 to 22, we see that God describes the construction of the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of Testimony to Moses. And then in verse 23, we see that God then describes the construction of the table of showbread. Now, the logic there is first there to build, to raise the contribution, to get the materials together. And then God starts with the most important element inside the tabernacle. He begins with the Ark of the Covenant that describes and, and prepares a place for his dwelling. It's a depository for the law, the Ten Commandments, the testimony of the covenant that God has made with his people. It's also the place where God's anger is propitiated because of their sin in breaking that covenant, that law. I want you to notice also that all of the elements in described in the holy place are considered by God to be in His presence, although the Ark of the Covenant alone rests behind that veil, and they're separated. Uh, the, the The showbread table, the lampstand, and the altar of incense are on the other side of the veil because. There, the priests and the high priests had to come in and out in order to do the work of ministry. They needed access to those uh, three articles of furniture, but they were all considered to be in the presence of God. I want you to notice also the description of the table for the bread. The table was made with acacia wood and overlaid with gold, very similar to the Ark of the Covenant. It was slightly smaller than the Ark, and if we understand a cubit to be approximately 18 inches, uh, which is about 415, I believe, centimeters uh, in metric, so we would understand the Ark or the uh, table of acacia wood to be about 92 centimeters long, about 46 centimeters wide, and about 69 centimeters high. It was roughly the size of a large coffee table and about the height of an ordinary desk that we would use, or perhaps a children's desk height. It was open base table, and around the top edge of it, there was about a 100 to 125 millimeter high border all around the edge. And I believe that was so that as they piled the the large loaves of bread in there, they could fit them tightly in there and they wouldn't uh, topple over or come off the edge. It was like a a giant gold-covered baking pan set on legs. It was decorated like the ark with a molding around it, and it was described to a level of detail, but yet as you read the description, you realize there is still much freedom left to Bezalel, and we'll get to him eventually. He was the man that God filled with His Holy Spirit, and gave him the responsibility for building and constructing the articles of furniture in the tabernacle. It was provided with gold rings, as we saw, uh, and poles for carrying. It was also laid out with dishes and pans and pitchers and bowls. And you can see there in uh, verse 29 that the bowls were used for drink offerings, the plates and pans were most likely for holding the bread, the dishes were perhaps for holding the incense, and all of those different elements placed on top of the table were all made from uh, solid gold. And like the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of Testimony, the most important element about that table of showbread was not the table itself, but its contents. The uh, Ark of the Testimony, the most important element of that was the law placed inside of it and the mercy seat placed on top of it and God's presence above that. Well, the, the table of showbread, the most important element there was the bread. Notice verse 30. It's the one command given as to how it was to function in this part of the text of Scripture. It says, You shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me at all times. Leviticus 24, as we read, provides the details of the bread's preparation. The bread was baked. On the day before the Sabbath. And those loaves of bread were 12 very large loaves. They would have been uh, 32 centimeters or roughly 12 inches in diameter. And what's surprising is about four inches thick or about a hundred millimeters, 10 centimeters thick, and it was equivalent to approximately a five pound or 2.3 kilogram loaf of bread. It was a very large piece of bread, and most likely it was uh, unleavened bread. The bread was to be always before the Lord. It was a continual covenant between God and his people, and the tradition has it. It's not contained within Scripture, but historians would say that the bread was replaced one loaf at a time. Now, I'm not entirely sure how they would have done that. Perhaps they slipped one out and put one on top and just keep working until all 12 loaves were replaced. The idea to maintain that commandment that the bread was continually before the Lord. There was never a moment when that table of showbread was empty of its bread. That bread was offered to the, to the Lord by the priests on behalf of the nation. The bread was con- to be considered as most holy by the priests. It was to be eaten only by the priests and only in a holy place. But as we know, surely the bread was not a food offering to the Lord. The Lord did not need or require food to nourish and sustain him. So the question has to be raised then, what's the point of the bread on the table? What does it mean? And I would suggest, and based on a lot of reading I did this week, that the meaning of the bread is that God has provided for his people. The bread symbolizes God's provision for all that we need and all we have. And the meaning fits so well within the wider context context of Scripture. So our first heading this morning, and you can follow along on your outline there, that is that God has provided for His people Israel. In Exodus chapter 11, verses 2 and 3, we can see that the Lord commanded the people of Israel to ask for articles of gold and silver and clothing from the Egyptians And God then gave them favor in the Egyptians' eyes, and they plundered the Egyptians. Uh, It was perhaps considered as payment for their slave service. And in this, God provided riches for the people who were then called to offer it back to the Lord as a free will contribution and offering for the building of the tabernacle and its furniture. Secondly, we can see from Exodus 12, verses 1 to 13, that God provided a deliverance from the angel of death in the Passover lamb. We saw that two, three weeks ago. Uh, In Exodus 14, 21 to 25, we see there that God provided deliverance for his people from their pursuing enemies, Egypt, through the depths of the Red Sea. And then in Exodus 15, 22 to 27, we see again that God provided water for their traveling people. They needed water. In Exodus 16, verses 1 to 17, as you read the story of Israel's traveling from Egypt to, the, to Mount Sinai and later to the, the Promised Land, God provided manna in the morning and meat, quail meat, uh, in the evening to feed his people. God provided. We saw last week from Leviticus 16 that God provided an atonement for their sins. And all these provisions, as you look through them, you can see very clearly they all point to Christ. And there's even more that we're not going to consider. The showbread is symbolic of God's provision for his people and for us. The second heading here this morning is this, that God provides for all of life, and we'll consider this in a general sense. Just to pause for a second. It's very interesting. It's actually beautiful to see the logic, and perhaps I didn't make this clear a little bit earlier, that First, God provides a throne for his dwelling. Then God provides a depository for his law. Then God provides an atonement for those who break it. And once atonement has been made, God speaks to Moses. God provides his word to communicate to his people. And immediately after that, God provides bread for the priest to eat, it's all a provision of out of God's atoning work. There comes great blessing from the, uh, great blessing in fellowship. I have, to, I have to just stop and tell you, as I was uh, studying and reading and working my way through this, the Lord just uh, gave me so much um, help in all this. And uh, I, I, I'm fighting very hard not to get excited and start barreling along at 100 miles an hour and getting through it because it's just, to me, it's marvelous to see the grace of God in His provision. I, and I hope and pray that as we watch and, and you watch and, and you pick up this, that God will speak to your heart and just fill you with an awe and a wonder at His gracious provision for His people. So the second heading is that God provides for all of life, and we see this just in a general sense. And from the showbread's preparation display, we can see that God provides continually. The bread was always to be set out before the Lord. God never ceases to supply. God's supply never fails. It never runs out. God's supply never has COVID shortages or back orders. His supply is a faithful, continual supply for all our needs. God provides abundantly. As I was sitting there thinking about these gigantic loaves of bread. It must have weighed five pounds. It's a heavy loaf of bread. It's four and a half times the normal size of a standard loaf of bread. There's always an abundant supply from God's hand, from his riches in grace for our needs. John all read earlier from Philippians 4 and verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. God does not provide according to our needs. He provides according to his riches in glory. Thirdly, God provides satisfactorily. There's always sufficient supply from God's hand. If you were to check out I encourage you to do so. First uh, Samuel 21, verses 1 to 6. And David and his men are fleeing from Saul and they come to Ahimelech and they ask about food and weapons. And Ahimelech says they can have the bread that has been removed from the table. So this is the, the bread that's been taken off and the fresh bread has been put there. And this bread is left over. And this leftovers from the priest's bread for eating was given to David and his men and there was sufficient to fill them. I was thinking about uh, the sufficiency of God's supply. And Jesus, in Matthew 14, verses 13 to 21, Jesus fed 5,000 men plus women and children from five loaves of bread and two fish. It was his grace and his glory at work. Matthew 14, uh, verse 20 says this, that all ate and were satisfied. 5,000 men plus women and children. If you put one woman and two children for each guy, that multiplies it by three, which makes it 15,000 people are there. 15,000 people ate from Jesus' hand of five loaves and two bread, and they were all satisfied. God provides satisfactorily. God is the source and provider of all that we, his people, need. In First Chronicles 29, and verse 14, David is blessing the Lord for in the sight of all the assembly of Israel, and he repeats back to God that all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. In other words, everything that we have comes from God. It belongs to God. It must go back to God. God provides for all our needs. James chapter 1 verse 17, James reminds us under the inspiration of the Spirit of God that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In Romans 11, and then verses 34 to 36, Paul writes and says, oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom. And knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. And then verse 35 and 36 continue. Who has given a gift to God that he might be repaid for from God and through God? And to God are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, the showbread on the table symbolizes God's abundant provision for us, for all of life. And you know, as I sat there and I thought about that, and you look around a little bit. Around my library and I look around it at the the tools that God has given me and the family God has given me and 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 we have so much we are a filthy fabulously rich people I probably shouldn't use the word filthy but we're certainly abundantly wealthy at God's provision and how often do we take it for granted how often do we stop and pause to give thanks to sit down like the old gospel hymn goes and count our many blessings and name them one by one. One by one. I was reminded this morning in a a conversation with a friend that discouragement comes when we're entirely man-centered. Encouragement comes when we focus our thoughts and our hearts and our minds on Christ, on God and His provision. When we see all that God has provided and done for us, it causes our heart to stir and to cheer. God has provided Third heading there on your sheet is God provided for their fellowship with himself. There's more to God's provision than just this general sense There's something actually quite specific here that we want to focus on. God's provision of an atonement opened the door to great blessings in addition to the blessing of forgiveness. The bread that God supplied, which was to be regarded as most holy And to be eaten in a holy place symbolizes fellowship with God. Atonement and forgiveness results in fellowship and communion with God. Within scripture, as you read your way through the Bible, you'll see that whenever there is the eating of a meal together, it's symbolic, it represents fellowship. Consider for a second Israel's history uh, just with the Lord already. In Exodus 12, verses 6 to 8, after the Passover lamb was killed and its blood is painted on the doorpost and the lintel, the lamb was eaten inside the house with unleavened bread. They ate a meal together and that eating of a meal symbolizes and celebrates their fellowship with God, those included by faith and obedience, had fellowship with God. Secondly, in Exodus 24, verses 6 to 11, this is a marvelous passage of Scripture, great story to read. After the covenant sacrifice had been made and the blood of the covenant was sprinkled on the altar and the book and the people. The Bible says that Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 elders went up Mount Sinai. And the Bible says they ate and drank and saw something of a visible representation of God himself. An angel of the Lord allowed them to see something of the glory of God. They saw a throne and so on. There's some details described there. Check it out. But those included... In that Sinai covenant, in that moment before the people of Israel fell into sin again, they had fellowship with God, and they celebrated that fellowship by the eating of a meal. They come out of the Ark, out of the Ark of the Covenant description, and into the table of showbread from the provision of an atonement. There is provision for eating. There is fellowship suggested and represented there to us. We likewise. We enjoy the same thing. In Acts chapter 2, in verses 41 and 42 there, we see described that after Christ's death and resurrection and after the Spirit had been had been poured out in full at Pentecost, those who heard the gospel and repented of sin and came to faith in Christ and had been baptized, the Bible says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, we, every uh, the first and third Sunday of the month, we take time out of our schedule to stop and sit down and remember the Lord. We sit around that table and we share a meal together. And 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three to 25 says that we who are included in the new covenant, eat and drink in remembrance of Christ. And we celebrate the fellowship that we have with God through Christ. As we share that bread with one another, we're celebrating fellowship that we have with each other. It's a fellowship that has been provided by Christ's atonement. The atonement brings reconciliation. And reconciliation opens the way for deep, rich fellowship with God, both individually and corporately. And that fellowship is not only sharing and eating bread at the Lord's Supper every two weeks, approximately. Fellowship is the wonderful communion of our hearts in joyful relationship with God. He is our Father, and we are sons and daughters to Him. It's an intimacy. It's sitting quietly in God's presence, enjoying Him through His Word. A dear friend of mine was talking to me on the phone this week uh, from our church, and he just said he'd taken time to get up a little earlier and he was just, you could just hear the joy in his voice he has, as he had spent time meditating and thinking on God's word and time in prayer, communing with the Lord. I had a wonderful time this morning, early, getting up and just spending time and praying through the text I was reading, praying for you from Romans 12 and 13 and 14, and praying from the Psalms and just communing and enjoying that great fellowship that is available to all of us. It's an intimacy. It's sitting quietly in God's presence, enjoying him and through his word. God has provided an anger-appeasing sacrifice in Christ's death. God has made us new creatures in Christ through faith in him. God has made us sons and daughters in Christ. God has provided for and desires our deep intimate fellowship. The, the thought that just keeps coming to my mind as I'm, as I'm preaching is that psalm where the psalmist says, one thing have I desired of the Lord, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the Lord. And I think the idea there is to sit quietly at great length in the presence of the living God and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. When you have to understand it by experience. But as you spend time in God's Word and you begin to see Christ woven through the Scriptures and you stand back and you just stare in awe and wonder at who God is and God feeds your soul with His very presence, it's a marvelous thing. Brother and sister, can I ask you how your fellowship is with the Lord? What steps are you and I taking to develop and deepen our fellowship with God? How much time do you and I give to spending in the Lord's presence, eating of his spiritual bread of life, which is the reading and taking in of Christ through the word of God to build and strengthen our faith? How much time do we spend in the Lord's presence drinking of the water of life, taking Christ in through the word and the power of the Holy Spirit to satisfy our thirsty souls. Jesus said in John 4, verses 13 to 15, and John 7, verse 37, that if we would drink of him, we would never thirst of again. But you know, that drinking is to be ongoing, is, is to continually drink of Him in, in a, an incredibly soul-satisfying drink. And the reality is some of us are very thirsty. But we're too busy to stop and feed our souls on Him. To drink deeply of the soul-satisfying water of life that is Christ, our Lord, our Master, our Savior, and our Friend. Some of us have failed in an even greater sense we're like the Israel as described by Jeremiah in Jeremiah 2 verses 12 to 13 and he says there be appalled and Jeremiah I believe is speaking for God be appalled o heavens at this be shocked Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that hold no water. Brothers and sisters, I think it's possible that there are some who have left off feeding their souls on the the bread of life and the water of life, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. We may not have departed the faith, but we've let the fire grow down cold. We let the warmth and the heat of our love for him become lukewarm and almost cool. We've forsaken God in some senses who provided Christ as living water and living bread, and instead we're trying to find satisfaction for our souls from all the dry dust, Of other stuff. God has provided Christ as the bread of life and the water of life to satisfy our souls in rich, deep, thirst-quenching fellowship. God has provided Christ as the bread of life. Eat of Him, taste and see, as the Bible says, that the Lord is good. And that brings us to our fourth heading: God provides through the priest's ministry. Now, last Sunday, uh, at the end of the message, I was trying to make the point that Christ has made us to be priests. In uh, 1 Peter 2 and verse 5, we read there that we are being built up for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. That's you and I as Jew and Gentile Christians, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, built up for a holy priesthood. Christ is our high priest, and he has made atonement for us, but we're not like the 11 tribes of Old Testament Israel, separated from God. We are a kingdom of priests that God wanted them to be, but they didn't because of their sin and their breaking God's commandment. Only one tribe, in a sense, a memorial portion of the the nation could serve as priests, We, on the other hand, are a holy priesthood, a kingdom of priests to God in Christ, who has perfectly kept the covenant on our behalf. If you remember, in Leviticus 24, we read there in verses 5 to 9, God instructs the priest for preparing the showbread. The priests and Levites were to be active in preparing it as an offering made to the Lord. The bread was made and placed on the table before the Lord's safe for sorry before the Lord's presence for seven days, and then after that it was to be eaten by the priests. So the priestly service that some were involved in—I'm not sure if it's the whole tribe of the Levites or just a part of them. I did search, but I couldn't quite find a verse to define which part of the tribe did it. But but some of them were involved in making that bread, preparing that bread for the provision and enjoyment of other priests. But it first was made as an offering to the Lord. You're all wondering, what's my point? Well, let me see if I can, uh, I can spell it out clearly. God... In his design and instruction and for the preparation and setting out of the showbread, God has provided a way for the priests simultaneously to minister to God and to each other. They prepared the bread as an offering to the Lord. And at the same time, they were preparing the bread for the other priests to eat. Now, we... As New Testament Christians, believers in Christ are the priesthood of all believers. We are to be actively engaged in preparing spiritual bread, first, as an offering to the Lord, and secondly, for the nourishing or building up and enjoyment of our brothers and sister priests. So what does that look like practically and really? Now, I don't go and get bread and flour and yeast, and, or bread flour, yeast and milk and eggs and, and so on, and bake up loaves of bread and bring them around to your house and say, Here's spiritual bread. Um, what it means is we have a priestly function to worship the Lord by bringing as an offering to Him the deep meditations we have made over Scripture. We dig deeply into the text to discover all that we can of the riches of what Scripture says about Christ. And we bring them and we set them out before the Lord as the object of his greatest delight. The Father delights in the Son. It's the object of his greatest delight passion, his greatest delight, his greatest joy is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we go to the scriptures, in a sense, like preparing, we we take all the, the truths that we have and meditating is like kneading dough, working it over and over and over, thinking deeply about what the scripture says. And the fruit of that meditation, that searching, that pouring over Scripture, that comparing verse with verse and passage with passage produces the fruit of worship for Christ. And we bring that to God as an offering of worship. We dig deeply into the text, discover all the riches that we can of what Scripture says about Christ. And we bring them and set them out before the Lord as the object of His greatest life. But you know what? I do something else too. As I find uh, those deep riches and every opportunity I have, like fearful men, for example, or the Wednesday night Bible study, or I meet up with friends or those text messages that you get from me. I share those discoveries with others. I point them to Christ. In the things I discover, I share those discoveries. In, let's just use fearful men for a second, because it's a great way to describe this. We sit there and zoom in our own different places. Our hair is all a mess. We got a cup of coffee in one hand, but we've got the Word of God open before us. And each brother begins to share the things that God has shown him. And I always marvel how one person's sharing and thoughts on Scripture lead to another. And there's almost always a common thread, a journey we take as we share one another. And what we have done in a very real sense is we have gone and we have prepared bread like the showbread. And we've set it before the Father that he might see it. And we've shared it with one brother and another that they are built up and encouraged in their faith. My meditation, my searching the scriptures, not only feeds and nourishes the souls of those other priests to whom I speak, it also reflects Christ to the Father, to his delight. What greater form of worship can there possibly be but to reflect Christ, the Son of God, to the Father for his enjoyment? What greater form or depth of ministry? Can there possibly be but to set before my brother and sister in Christ the wonders and glories of Christ to them, the truths of Scripture as spiritual bread and water to sustain, to feed, to build up, to rebuke at times. It's amazing sitting with those men. And one brother will share a verse, and I can feel the Holy Spirit's finger going like this in my chest. You, man, that verse is talking to you. To feed, to build up, to rebuke, to reprove, to encourage, to correct. Christ, our acceptable atonement, was sacrificed for us. His atonement opened doors for abundant blessings from God. His atonement opened doors for our fellowship with God. His atonement opened doors for our fellowship with each other. Preparing spiritual bread. Thoughts on Christ for the building up and the enjoyment of others in Christ is the pinnacle of Christian fellowship. Christian fellowship is not talking about COVID as important as that is. Christian fellowship is not talking about footy as sort of important as that is. Christian fellowship is not talking about our work. It's not talking about our families so much. It's talking about Christ. It's discussing how Christ influences and affects our families. It's talking about how Christ is showing himself to us. It's talking about the things that we have discovered of the beauty and the glory of Christ with each other. So that we can take and we can put our arm on our friend's shoulders and we point. There he is. And we point to Christ in the things that we say. You know, there's so much more. Wish I had another hour to keep going. There's so much more to how we can minister Christ, our spiritual bread, to each other. In 1 Peter chapter 4, take your Bibles and just flip over there. 1 Peter And chapter 4 and verses 8 to 12. Let's just read together. It says, above all, speaking to believers, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be us hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God, whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. In fervent love for Christ and for one another, we're to be hospitable. We share Christ. We minister Christ to one another as we welcome each other into our homes and welcome the unbeliever into our home that they might see the glory of Christ in us. We're to be using our spiritual gifts to minister to one another. Gifts of teaching and preaching and helps, administration and faith, and all those other gifts are listed in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. We're to speak the truth of God to each other were to serve as one who serves with the strength that God supplies. We're to faithfully, continually, abundantly, and carefully prepare spiritual bread for both the worship of God and for the building up of one another. I wonder what sort of joy and satisfaction those priests got as they saw their brothers taking those loaves of bread at the end of the seven days and, and however they distribute them. I'm not sure. Maybe they cut them up. I don't know. But they each took a portion and they went home and they knew every week, they knew that as that bread of the presence was set there, every time they walked into the tabernacle and they saw it sitting there on the one side, piled high, six loaves in each row, two rows. And they knew at the end of the week there was bread to supply. And I believe there's also a sweetness in the frankincense. It was something they looked forward to. Brother and sister in Christ, do you look forward? Do you look forward to the opportunities to share what God is showing you of Christ to each other? Do you look forward for the opportunities to get alongside one another and encourage one another? I'll tell you, this this preparing the message was a rebuke to my own heart. It's a rebuke because I find it too easy to find other things that are, quote, more important to do than to stop and spend some time on the phone, to stop and spend some time with a friend, just encouraging them, him, her, build them up in their faith. But the tremendous rewards are we see the other one nourished. And as we speak of Christ to each other, God hears, God sees and God blesses. God is, in a sense, enjoying the fellowship of believer with Christ and believer with each other. So to wrap it all up, the Ark of the Covenant symbolizes for us God's purpose to dwell amongst His people. and Christ now, by faith, dwells in each of our hearts. Those of us who know and love and trust the Lord Jesus Christ. God purposed to have his own anger justly turned away. And Christ's death fully satisfies and appeased God's anger. Christ's purpose to meet with us and speak to us. And God has given us his Holy Spirit to illumine and explain and remind and convince us of God's word, God's will, God's ways. God purposed to display His provision for life, His provision of life for His people in the showbread on the table. And Christ is God's ultimate provision as the bread of life and God's ultimate provision as living water. If we would drink, we would never thirst. God purposed to make His people a nation of kings and priests And I can't imagine the sadness in God's heart as he saw them down in the plain, worshiping, committing all sorts of vulgar acts around a golden calf. And his anger burned against them. But praise God, God purposed to send Christ whose life and death saved us. Christ's blood has cleansed us. Christ has brought us into fellowship with him and with the Father. Christ has brought us into fellowship with each other. We are God's gift to each other. Christ has brought us into fellowship with each other. He's given us as priests the wonderful privilege and responsibility It is a responsibility, brothers and sisters, to be mining and searching God's Word, that you might fill your heart and your mind with thoughts to worship the Lord and thoughts to encourage each other. Christ has given us as priests that wonderful privilege of preparing spiritual food, to meditate on Christ, to enjoy and savor Him, and then to take the fruits, the benefit of that meditation and set it before God in worship, and set it before each other to build one another up and strengthen each other for the journey. Brothers and sisters, God has provided. God has provided all we need for life and living. God has provided all we need for spiritual and eternal life. Give thanks. I, I urged us all this morning before I began the message to stop and just give thanks to the Lord for His great provision. Give thanks, rejoice, be glad in the Lord. Give thanks and see how you may serve Him and serve each other. God has provided. What a wonderful provision that He has made for us. Amen. Amen. Loving Father, we thank you and we praise you this morning for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for the bread of life. Father, we thank you for what the making of bread teaches us about him. The wheat that was ground to make flour and his soul was ground and crushed. The wheat that was mixed with with water and other ingredients, Lord, to make bread. And that dough was placed in a hot fire of an oven. And Father, the Lord Jesus Christ endured all the fire of your anger, your wrath against us. Father, that bread came forward to give life, life life-sustaining, life-nourishing bread. Father, we thank you that we have eternal life when we partake of Christ. Father, I plead with you that you would take these stammering, stumbling thoughts of a mere man, and Father, you would use them to encourage, to strengthen, to build up the believers, Father, too, to point the unbeliever to Christ. We ask you, Father, for these things in the precious and the powerful and the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.